morning. It's very good to see you. My name is Mark Johnson, and I believe I'm one of the ministers from this congregation. Um, for those that may not understand that introduction, uh, I have been on sabbatical. I've been away for eight weeks, and I have returned, and I'm so glad to be back here with you uh, for worship. And if you are new to us, we particularly are thankful for your presence. Uh, we have friendship pads. That's a way to get to know each other by name. But mostly just hear our heartfelt welcome to you. Uh, for being here, and we are glad that you are a part of our worship experience this morning. Uh, I've had a wonderful time on sabbatical, but before I talk about that, because there's more to share than time to share it, I want to say a word of, of gratitude. Gratitude to you, the church, for allowing me to have this very rewarding and uh, memorable time, really uh, treasures that I will carry with me the rest of my life, and we'll find a Wednesday night where I'll share a little bit more. Um, but thank you for your support and the opportunity of having the sabbatical. Uh, secondly, I want to say a word of gratitude to all the preachers who did a fantastic job with great sermons. Um, I actually was able to watch two of them live on the YouTube uh, live stream. Once in an airport uh, with a good internet connection and the other on the back deck on a beautiful uh, Sunday morning. And I really hate to advertise that service because I would like for you to come to church and see each other. But if you're not here, that is an incredibly rewarding way to be connected with your congregation, whether you watch it live or later in the week. Uh, Aaron's work with the YouTube uh, live stream and the work back there, it's really, really nice. And so, uh, so I was worshiping with you a couple of those times, but also saw uh, a couple of them later in the week, and they were great sermons. Uh, the bar has been raised. I'm going to have to do a little better job, it looks like. Um, my mother's already told me that Ethan can go ahead and have my job. <laughs> so, so you were in good hands. But finally, my word of gratitude is to our staff, to Charles and Aaron and Raleigh and uh, Mark and Thomas, uh, and the hard work. I can see you want to... Uh, Give God thanks through your applause. So go ahead and do that, would you, for them? Uh, not only were they covering for me in masterful ways, uh, but also picking up extra responsibilities in the health improvement, miraculously, of our administrator, Tricia Huffman. Um, and so they were doing a lot of work over the past couple of months. And I'm really surprised to hear this morning. I thought I would walk in and they would say, okay, Mark, it's yours, we're done. But thank you uh, for your hard work and I really appreciate all that you all did in the past uh, two months. It's incredible. Uh, a sabbatical is a glimpse of glory. A time to recharge your batteries and move out of your normal routine. A, a time to hopefully lift your spirits as my spiritual lifted during it. It's a recognition that we're never completely home free until we're called to our final place upon the earth. But in the meantime, we have these glimpses, these snapshots of grace and mercy and kindness and love and renewal, and that helps us along the way. It helps us recognize the presence of God in our world. It is my prayer that as we worship today, we will ponder and again appreciate those glimpses of glory 
that are here all around us. As we lift up the name that has saved us, as we sing the songs that enliven us, as we are inspired to walk the way of discipleship in the compassionate mercy of Christ. And so it is in his name that I welcome you as we begin this day of worship at Central Baptist Church. Welcome at this place. Good morning. If you would join me by standing, if you're able, with the call to worship. Come, lift up your hearts to the Lord. Our God is full of compassionate love. God brings sinners back to the way and teaches the humble the way they should go.
Most gracious Father, we come together on what seems to be a warm day, a different kind of day that we've had. We rejoice in it. We rejoice in the opportunity to be together, to share with one another, to lift each other up. But most importantly, Father, we come today to worship you, to sing your praises, to hear your word, to be inspired for our coming week. Help us to be mindful and open to what you would have us hear. For we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. And now if you will turn among one another and pass the peace of Christ. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall, beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the, then the Lord said, see, I am setting up a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Now a Christian witness. We've been praying for you unceasingly and asking that you attain the full knowledge of God's will and perfect wisdom and spiritual understanding, then you will lead a life worthy and pleasing your God in every way. You will, you will multiply good works of every sort and grow in the knowledge of God. And by the might of God's glory, you will be endowed with the strength needed to st stand fast and endure joyfully whatever may happen. Thanks be to God for having you worthy to share in the inheritance of ho the holy ones in light. And God... God rescues us from the authority of darkness and brought us to re the reign of Jesus, God's only begotten. And it is through Jesus that we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God.
Let's pray again, please. Dear God, this morning we are grateful that the light has come. The light is here. The light goes before us. Yet the responsibility that we have to also be the light, to be shining examples of your love, to try to be shining examples of your generosity, to be shining examples of how to offer one another peace and grace. It's an ominous and huge task, and yet we stand before you praising Jesus and taking up the mantle of his light. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
I invite you now to stand for the hearing of the gospel lesson, today found in the gospel of Luke, in the 10th chapter beginning in the 25th verse, a familiar story for many who have been a part of the church. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Before there are traveling mercies, there are traveling anxieties. I remember a man from the small town of Midway who would literally drag his feet anytime he had to come to the big city of Lexington, complaining as he did about our terrible traffic and crime problems. Getting on a plane was absolutely out of the question for him. And he refused to visit his daughter and their family in Cincinnati, expecting that if they ever they were going to be together, they would have to come to him rather than him going to them. There's anxiety. When you leave home and began to hit the road. On my way to Dublin, 
My bags and Neil's bags were lost for two days. On the second night, I was finding myself doing laundry in the bathroom sink, afraid they might kick me out of the country. Donna's bags, in a better airline because she flies more professionally than I do, were also lost on the way home. On my return trip, after waiting two hours in seven lines, including two security checks, I made it to the gate two minutes after my ticket said boarding would begin to be told by the agent there that my plane had left and that I would need to go back to the start, hopefully rebook a new ticket and start the process all over again. I won't tell you the first thing that came out of my mouth, but the words were not, praise Jesus. <laughs> Traveling has anxiety. And obviously I worked it out. I mean, I'm here today and it was really a miscommunication where she thought I was talking about one plane rather than the plane I wanted or needed. But my frustrations are minuscule. Maybe a total of 20 minutes of stressful living when I knew that I had a nice house to return to. I had a job waiting for me, a job I enjoy doing that gives me a lot of meaning in life. And that I had plenty of family and friends that were going to welcome me back home. My momentary anxiety, a mere shadow, compared to the very real and heartbreaking travel challenges being faced by the desperate, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. Displaced persons all over the world, immigrants and refugees, Victims of unbridled genocide, fleeing violence and war, traveling thousands of miles through dangerous conditions, facing thirst and hunger and starvation, enduring rape and abuse, and closer to home, being detained indefinitely by a wealthy and affluent country that I dearly love with neither the time nor the resources, nor the willpower to offer soap or showers or toothbrushes or safe water or what we might call dignity. Arising from Scripture comes an ancient story. It's one of our best, really, easily in the top ten of all the moral lessons and wisdom we may have gleaned from 2,000 years of Christian tradition, a parable offered by Jesus' response to a timeless question. Who is my neighbor? How wide is the circle we are required to draw around God's commandment to love one another? Who gets in? Or maybe the truer question, the one we are really after. Who can we let out?
and be left out. At the Lights for Liberty gathering at the Courthouse Plaza in downtown Lexington this past Friday night, we joined with other cities all over the nation to pray and give attention and affirm and direct action toward those in our community, mostly of Hispanic heritage, that are feeling under assault by our country. Speaking there was a congregational friend, personal colleague, Rabbi David Worshafter, who reminded us of a groundbreaking moment in American history. The date was August the 28th, 1963. The American preacher prophet, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was soon to deliver his unforgettable I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Just before he spoke, he was introduced by an American rabbi, Jehoiham Prince, who said, and I'm paraphrasing here to be more inclusive, these words to the listening millions of Americans, 1963. In the realm of the spirit, our ancestors taught us thousands of years ago that when God created humanity, we were created as everybody's neighbor. Neighbor is not a geographical term. It is a moral concept. It means our collective responsibility for the preservation of each other's dignity and integrity. And as we jump into the conversation with Rabbi Jesus, I think he would agree. Our willingness to care for one single human person is a reflection of our willingness to care for all human persons. Because when you start asking the question, who is my neighbor? As a means to test others and justify yourself, you can easily start making a list of exclusions. Things like race or gender or national origin or economic status or religious or non-religious affiliation or sexual identity or orientation, or can we add citizenship, status? And before you know it, you've built an army of reasons to keep the world out. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't get lost in the rhetoric of abstract reasoning, as I might be prone to do. He's far too clever to get drawn into a philosophical debate, a testy back and forth. He starts kindly, gently with his inquirer. Tell me, please, he asked, what do you read? What do you think? What is your perspective on who is my neighbor? The answer, a legitimate one, our love for God is validated by our love for one another. Then Jesus does a mind-blowing thing. He tells a simple story. 
with world-shattering significance. Imagine, as I embellish his teaching, you are traveling alone, away from your family and friends, and you happen to fall into difficulty, a trouble so terrible that you are stripped of all your clothes, left with nothing, no wallet, no cell phone, no means to get help, and worse, you are beaten within an inch of your life, and your body is so severely bruised and battered that you can't even lift your head, except to slowly watch how your life's blood is dripping into the dirt below. Would it really matter to you with every critical second passing by where your life hangs in the balance as it might concern us in a theoretical conversation and its safety? Would it really concern you then about the kinship and identity credentials that you may share with a person, any person, that you desperately pray might come to your aid. If you're in a car wreck, would you refuse help from a Muslim doctor? Would you want only white hands to rescue you out of the wreckage? Would you ask for a person's citizenship status and their ID card before you would allow them to call 911? Jesus answers this question for us and for all of his listeners overhearing him, including his own disciples. Do you remember the early part of chapter 9? Jesus had just sent them out on their full immersion mission experience. And he told each of them, when you go to share the gospel, don't take your purse, don't take your wallet, don't take extra change of clothes, don't even take your shoes. Instructing them that there would be no Airbnb confirmation. And no prepaid debit cards to be his disciples. But instead, they would have to rely upon the kindness of strangers. Helping us all to reverse our perspective. As we seek to follow him. From the person who is capable to offer help to the person who desperately needs it. When you need help, when you're lost, when you're lonely, when you're hungry, when you're desperate, only one credential truly matters. Who will be there to help me? Well, there's more. Because I'm a little tired of calling the hero in our story the Good Samaritan. If you listen to the story and if you want to read it later, you'll notice the word good is nowhere to be found in describing him. I want to think of him as 
the happy Samaritan. Hmm. Now, helping others is hard. I won't pretend that it's not difficult or emotional draining when you try to offer your aid to someone else. And sometimes we cannot do all that someone asks of us. Though we try our best, sometimes we can only do so much. And there are so many problems that are in our world, we hardly know where to begin. But I also know this truth. There is no greater fulfillment of the heart for you to know how you have helped a brother or a sister or a sibling. When you've actually done something that was meaningful and helpful as you've intervened with grace and compassion, when you demonstrated mercy and welcome to a person who has really never received it, you discover not only are they saved, but so are you. That there is a joy that comes bubbling up where we feel I am doing what I was made to do. And the pleasure of the divine grace runs through my actions. And I have found, even in a very small way, that I could have helped somebody who needed help. And I have discovered this incredible happiness that the world cannot provide for me in anything that I would order on Amazon or I would possess in my home. That when I make an impact to help somebody else, I've often found that the impact is in the first person. I have been touched by a mercy beyond me, greater than me, flowing through me, that is sourced in God's own creative call to love one another as God has loved us. This week I heard an interview with the mayor of Atlanta, Nisha Lance Bottoms. And she was talking about a conversation she had with her young son, maybe seven or eight years of age. He said to his mom, Mom, was I born in the United States of America? Well, yes, of course you were born in the United States of America. Then I'm a U.S. citizen? Yes, honey, you're a U.S. citizen. Then he asked, Mom, were you born in the United States? Are you a U.S. citizen? She said, I'm the mayor of Atlanta. Yes, I'm a U.S. citizen. Why? Why are you concerned? Her seven or eight-year-old child was afraid that his family might get separated. Fear is contagious. And there is no social policy that is morally neutral. And when we foster a climate of fear, especially fear of the other, it permeates every aspect of our awareness. Even down to the hearts of our children. But there's good news. Great news, wonderful news. For just as fear is contagious, 
So is compassion. And so is hope. On that Friday night, just a couple of days ago, we met a young woman in her early 20s of Hispanic origin, born in Mexico. But she is what we once called a dreamer under the protection of DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, a program and protection that was suspended in September of 2017. And she said that her reapplication process is coming up in October, and she's afraid that she has spent her entire life of memory in Kentucky. She's been raised in our schools. She's been educated in our universities. She has paid her taxes. She's obeyed our laws. She has worked as a teacher, helping teach our children. And now she's afraid that this country, the only home she's ever known and the one she deeply loves might be taken from her and she will be sent away. I hope not. Maybe not. But can you for a moment appreciate the fear, the anxiety, the worry? Can just for a few seconds we get down in the ditch with solidarity and love and concern? She said, I won't tell you what I was called recently in a Lexington restaurant. It was too hateful to repeat. But she said, when I saw this crowd, and there were about 450 people out there, she said, it filled my heart with incredible joy and enduring hope. I hadn't done hardly anything just one of the faces out there looking back at her. Something very small and for me very insignificant. But as I left that gathering, I know I stood a little taller. And I was brought a little bit closer to eternal life. We close each service with a time to sing, time to lift up our spirits and lift up our faith and to respond to the call of God. If God is moving in your heart, I welcome you to respond publicly to us here as we pray for you, as we pledge to walk with you, as we welcome you. But let us now stand to sing this wonderful hymn, Live Into Hope. May we sing it and believe it. Hymn 772. <laughs>
It is so wonderful to be back with you here for worship. I have to admit, I'm not used to working this hard on a Sunday morning, but it's been fantastic to gather back as God's people and to be back with you as we now move through the end part of the summer and look forward to what for us normally is a new year, because it always feels like we're on a school calendar no matter who we are and no matter how old we are. Um, there are some wonderful events that are coming up. That's in the insert that you have in your bulletin if you'd like to take that home. Uh, there's a group hiking the Pinnacles this coming Saturday. And if you want to have more information, uh, check with Aaron. There's also two or three book groups, two, two groups this week, uh, reading Southernmost by Silas House. Uh, hopefully you can join, uh, uh, join the discussion, but uh, at least get the book and read it so you can have discussions if you're not in that group. Uh, so that means get a summer reading task, Southernmost by Silas House, a, um, a, a man from Eastern Kentucky. So you're supporting Eastern Kentucky and Kentucky artists by your purchase of that book. Uh, there's knitting. Uh, you'll notice the in, uh, invitation to walk through the post-it notes about the um, active in the spirit. Am I leaving anything out? Okay. Let us hear now our blessing found today in the good news of Ephesians. May you be strengthened in your inner being with the power through Christ's spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. In the name of God, the most graceful, Jesus, his holy Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.